you or I or our churches get impatient with God, weary of not knowing the divine's next steps, that we forget past blessings and choose to turn to, ultimately, the work of our own hands or someone else's hands? And are we aware of it if that happens? The passage tells me that we... Hello, and thank you for tuning in once more, or maybe for the first time, welcome to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I'm the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. Our service today, which is for Sunday, October 11th, 2020, I really should say the sermon because that's what you have in the podcast are the scriptures and the sermon. The uh, sermon is called Estimating Relationship with God. And the scriptures are from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Our elector is Mike Ryan, and please join me in the spirit of prayer for a moment, uh, unless you want to skip forward to those. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to, for me to bring and for others to listen to an understanding and interpretation, some thoughts about your word, in applying them to our spiritual lives in this crazy time. Bless this time of, of listening and hearing, and may it build us up so that we can turn and build others up. In the name of Christ, the head of the church, amen. And now, Mike Ryan. Our first reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. The Lord has been speaking to Moses atop Mount Sinai for a long time and has given him the Ten Commandments on the two tablets of stone. Moses left his brother Aaron in charge, but he will not be happy about what he's going to find when he comes down. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come. Make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, It was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, Change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his mind. Here ends the reading of the Old Testament lesson. Our epistle lesson is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Paul makes some final appeals as he starts to wrap up his thank you letter. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement, and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, 
whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This ends the reading from Philippians. The gospel lesson for today is Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus has been telling parables of the kingdom that have upset the Pharisees, chief priests, and elders of the people. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets, and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets, and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Here ends the reading of the scriptures lesson for today's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of the God of life, for the life of the people of God. It was Rita, a friend from the first church I served, who said it first so that it stuck with me. She said, Choices have consequences. Decisions make a difference. Relatively speaking, some are not all that significant nor long-lasting, such as, which top should I put on? Does it go with these pants? Others, of course, are much more serious and usually have long-term consequences, often unforeseen consequences, like choosing to make or accept a marriage proposal, or deciding to take drugs to get high. Choices. I expect that given the season we're in, some of you are thinking about the elections next month and past elections and 
how those choices have and had consequences. Were we able to estimate how important those decisions were? Are we now? I'm glad Rita gave me the simple reminder which stuck with me that choices have consequences. It helps me remember that estimating those consequences, because estimating those consequences ahead of time can change the choice I make. I estimate them. Of course, I also learned from majoring in poli-sci that decisions have ramifications which need to be examined and estimated, particularly illuminated to me by the XCOM formed to meet the Cuban Missile Crisis. I suggest that the most essential choices you, I, and our churches make are about our relationship with the Lord. How strong do you think yours is, or how strong do I think mine is? Would it not be a good idea to often estimate or evaluate our connection with God, with Jesus Christ? I think so. Not because of Rita, but our passages today point me in that direction for this message. There are a number of things to get out of the story of the golden calf, Paul's exhortation to the Philippians, and Jesus' parable about the wedding banquet. A chief one is that you and I do well to check on, to estimate our relationship with God. This, in turn, I believe, affects other choices that we make in life including what church we attend, for whom we vote, and what causes we give our time or money to. One way to think about it is, maybe just a different way to phrase it, is ask ourselves, where are we in our connection to Jesus? We can over or underestimate the relationship we have with certain persons. Do you or I underestimate this one or overestimate our relationship with God. Examples come from the scriptures to help you illuminate what I'm getting at. The Hebrews seemed to have such a low or at least unwieldy relationship with the Almighty that they did what they did in the story today. They had had all these dramatic deliverances by and provisions from Yahweh that their faith newly covenant with God giving the law at Sinai should have been should have led them to be more patient while God and Moses were conducting crucial business, right? Nah. We heard Mike read, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, the man who brought us up out of Egypt. As for this Moses, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron went along, even though he tried to have it both ways by saying their idol worship, quote, shall be a festival to Yahweh. They chose to turn away from and defy the Lord. The choice shows 
they underestimated, even wrote off for the moment, their connection with the Holy One. They chose to turn away for other idols in direct violation of the first two of the Ten Commandments. We heard the rest of the story. God was incensed and spoke of destroying this people whom God so loved, saved, provided for, and gave God's self to, including the holy name. God, however, respected Moses to listen to his interceding for the people and, as the passage says, change the divine mind. Ultimately, that choice revealed how highly Yahweh truly estimated his relationship with Israel. The people did not know how highly God valued them. Sometimes that may be true of us. It may be true of our churches. Well, such a choice showing an what I think is an underestimation of their relationship with God, could have brought about their destruction. But Moses had three great points that he brought to God, why not to go ahead, bringing this story home to us. Are there seasons in life, short or long, when, far more subtly, you or I or our churches get impatient with God, weary of not knowing the divine's next steps, that we forget past blessings and choose to turn to, ultimately, the work of our own hands or someone else's hands. And are we aware of it if that happens? The passage tells me that we ought to be aware. That's where estimating our relationship with God comes in. Who are we following, really? Are we off track? What do our choices reveal? Have they had results which took us further away from Christ Jesus? Do we realize how much God values and cherishes us? Let's look at another story, the parable of the wedding feast for the Marriage of the son of the king. Gee, I wonder who they represent. Invitations went out. People said yes. In those days, the first invite asked for a commitment to the day. As a guest, you knew that the time of the event would be given when the time was imminent. But this was okay because you said that day would be set aside for that event. Now, if a powerful person invited you to their kid's wedding and you said yes, understanding the whole day, really the week, because wedding banquets then lasted seven days, that that would be claimed and you had a project due that same specified day in the future, what would you do? Take care of the work first. Get it out of the way. Same thing with any other commitments set for that day or week. Choosing to do that showed you cared, you prioritized, that it mattered to you. It also showed that the fact you RSVP'd in the affirmative 
mattered to you. You're a person of your word. Congratulations. You are better than the invited guests in the parable. They blew it off. They chose to say no and upset the monarch's family. They had been invited to the wedding. Not everybody had been. They probably overestimated their relationship. I think they must have thought it would not really matter if they did not go. The king would get over it. They're buddies. It's cool. The king will understand. By comparison, the ruler cared so much about these two-faced persons, yes, no, that a second round of servants went out begging them to come. Come on, please reconsider. God is persistent. Or as we and the scriptures like to say about God's love, steadfast. Did they deserve this after their choice to say no to their ruler the first time? But still, the second chance came. And still, they chose to distance themselves further by having crummy reasons to say sorry, but no. I say the reasons, quote, they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, one to his business, were crummy, because those things could have been done ahead of time, right? Making light of it sounds like an underestimation, but then there were the worst in the story, too, who, like tenants in the parable in chapter 21, the slaves with the second invitation were murdered like the son of the landowner in the previous chapter. Of course the king got enraged. His love and patience, they were spat upon, and and in the worst case, his people were killed. Now we know that God's estimation, God's estimation of God's relationship with the citizens was high. It showed in forgiveness and the pleading second invitation. The business people and farmers, however, may have thought their relationship with the king was so good that their refusal would not matter. They did not know how very much it did matter to the king, how much they mattered to the king, how it would hurt. And those those who killed his slaves must have had a relationship with the ruler on another basis that was just hatred. Did these people get there overnight? I do not think so. People had initially said yes to the invitation, but their fickle personalities, or excuse me, their fickle priorities made other choices. And the value they once placed on their connection to the king drifted away. They did not turn to other gods like the Hebrews. The first groups did not kill anyone, but they had not checked themselves to see how much it mattered to them to go to the ceremony and see that it was being crowded out by other logical sounding stuff screaming for first attention my business my new land they did not realize their choices took them far away and theirs was a hefty price to pay The killers, as I said, were in another realm altogether. And we can only surmise why they did what they did to the messengers of the king's forgiving invitation. Come to the wedding feast. No, we're going to kill you. 
I said, I thought the first bunch of respondents who found other things to do overestimated their relationship with the king. And for us, if we happened to relate to them, we'd be like those who overestimate our relationship to God. God truly loves everyone. In the end, quote, both good and bad came to the feast by invitation. For God so loved the world and loves the world. And yet, have we done spiritual stock-taking and found that we have taken God's grace so much for granted that we do what we want and do not think if it displeases the Holy One? Do we get to a point where we think, you know, we've heard enough sermons, gone to enough services, read enough of the Bible that we don't really need them anymore, and God is okay with the choices leading us away. To be honest, I'm not sure if that is overestimating or underestimating the connection to God, but I'm envisioning it being overestimating it. God's cool. If you and I, and God is cool, but not the way that I'm thinking in this dynamic, if you and I do an inventory and gauge our relationship with God, maybe we say that we do not underestimate our connection to Jesus, nor are we self-satisfied enough to overestimate it and not see room for improvement in our covenant life. No false idols, no rejection of the call to believe in and follow Christ, and certainly no attacking of the messengers of, of the invitation. That's great. If you do not remember what the sermon was about, or even are not sure now, check the title. It is wise to estimate from time to time our relationship with God. How is it? Do we underestimate our relationship with Christ as an honest look at our choices show? Do we overestimate it, taking God's mercy and blessings for granted, and they are free, then we might not be letting Jesus' spirit, example, and teachings shape the next choices we make, the lives we make. Both of these stories are reminders, even loving warnings. To do that, take this self-evaluation so you and I and our churches do make right and faithful choices on a regular basis, fallible human beings, though we certainly are. The stories, really the gospel story, show the deep love of God and warn what happens if God's love and call are neglected, denied, or crucified. Again, as shown by our decisions. Before closing, some of you are probably wondering about the whole wedding garment thing. What is up with that? Everyone was invited by this time. The gospel of Christ is inclusive. Frederick Dale Bruner says the story is told at the end of this parable for the church to hear our own accountability. And that for Matthew, the garment is active moral righteousness chosen in response to God's grace by which we, which, we receive, which we receive by faith. Bruner quotes this scholar called Marguerite, 
The largesse of the invitation is not put in question. Only a libertine interpretation of grace associating the gratuity of the call, the freedom and the freeness of the call, associating the gratuity of the call with the dismissal of ethical responsibility. That puts believers in danger. End of quote. Doug Hare said, remember the guy's speechless when confronted? Friend, why are you here? And Doug Hare said, the man is speechless because he has no defense. He accepted the invitation of the gospel, but refused to conform his life to the gospel. That's the missing garment. In estimating our relationship with God, we'll recognize if that is missing and choose to change, thereby, by the grace of God, putting that garment on. So let us continue to be those who conform our lives to the best of our ability to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wearing the wedding garment in response to God's love and God's call leads us to continue to choose loving, faithful words and deeds, including prophetic and faith-sharing deeds and words. Over time, that will evolve from being second nature, where we have to catch ourselves and say, oh yeah, that's right to being how we choose to live instinctively, first nature. And this, in turn, influences other choices we make, including where our time and energy go, what we pray about, how we treat one another, and within the voting booth. To God be the glory. Amen. Her. Could you say her? And a her, yeah, so super. Bob Euchre in the cur in the in the what does Bob Euchre say about the knuckleball, just wait till it stops rolling around and then go pick it up. God bless you for tuning in to the October 11th edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please uh, let other people know about it. Maybe we'll have some other listeners who can be uh, blessed in any way that you have been, if not in some other way. And uh, it's just a thought. Uh, I know I've made that request before. May God bless your week. And we all have our weeks. Amen.